Welcome to the Platform Podcast. On this show, we're trying to educate you about the American college system. We're going to be having college coaches and student athletes joining us, talking about the experiences in America, and hopefully by the end of the show, you would have taken away some amazing information. Enjoy. Welcome everyone to today's talk. Um, today we've got a really special guest. I've got my friend Coach Thomas here. Coach, how are you? I'm well, Amrit. Nice to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So a bit of background for everyone listening to this. And on the 12th of February, 2018, I added you as a friend on Facebook and sent you a message saying, hey, I'm from New Zealand. I'd love to connect. I've got a bunch of athletes I'd love to talk to you about. And, you know, four years later, here we are. And um, you've had quite the journey as a, as a college coach. At that time, you were at Omaha, Nebraska. And I know you coached at another program after that. And now you are at one of the most prestigious colleges in the world. Coach Thomas, tell us about your coaching career. I'd love to hear more about it. Yeah, thanks. Um, I, I've had kind of a strange path, like not quite the most typical one, but I started at Omaha, Nebraska, and it's a mid-major D1 men's program. And um, I was the head men's coach there. And for that was for about five or six years. Um, and I was talking with Amrit about a couple different players and, and, um, and we kind of got to the point where my wife was considering a move and I was looking at moving up, uh, another level in terms of competitiveness. Um, and I ended up moving to the university of Virginia in Charlottesville, Virginia, and I shifted over to the women's side and I hadn't anticipated it being a permanent shift, but uh, I, I realized some things about myself and my coaching style and really enjoyed coaching women's tennis. Uh, so I stayed on that side for three years at, at Virginia. I came in and we were kind of ranked in the mid twenties in the country and we left ranked number five at the end of last year. Um, and then about a month and a half ago, I accepted the position at UPenn here in Philadelphia Um uh, so I've, I've joined the ranks of the Ivy League and still kind of, you know, learning the ropes here, but really enjoying everything and couldn't be happier. I liked personally the way that you approach the recruiting process you're in. You take your time. You like to interview a lot of people. And you're not, you're not one of those coaches that are quite aggressive with your recruiting style. There's a lot of coaches out there that try to say, we want you tomorrow. We want to sign you. But you're the kind of coach that likes to get to know people, right? What sort of is your recruiting process on your end? What do you look for in athletes? Yeah, it's a great question. I've always, at every stop, and fortunately some of these other coaches that I've worked with have shared this philosophy, but uh, we really look at at our teams as kind of like an extended family. Um, and essentially, if that relationship begins with us putting undue pressure on the situation and forcing someone into a, a decision, um, that rarely works out well. Um, so I've always believed it's incredibly important to get to know as much as possible about each individual recruit and just learning about, you know, what their family like is like, what their relationships are with, with their coaches, with their, any other uh, players they've trained with um, and learning a lot about them and like what their, ambitions are what they're you know the different things that they believe are important in their life um because especially now at upenn we're trying to create this very holistic approach to growth and development and if someone is only you know kind of 
single singly focused at, at maybe just training and they don't really care about building a team environment and, and helping their teammates, it's, it's ultimately going to be a roadblock. So we do a lot of work on the front end trying to find great people. Um, because again, at the end of the day, we want to have a lot of fun showing up to practice every day. And we want to find people that love tennis and have a similar joy and passion for it. Um, and it just, it just makes the whole experience uh, pretty special. That's fantastic. And I liked how just when you're talking about what you look for in recruits, you didn't even mention tennis. Like it was everything outside of tennis, right? And I guess that's so important because when you're a school like UPAN, you know, top 50 in the world, top five in, in the country academically, you're not going to be short of players. There's going to be a lot of players wanting to be involved in your program. And so it's a lot more than just hitting a tennis ball, right? Do you even take one step further, coach? And do you look at their Instagram? Do you try and find a reference or like a mutual contact that knows them as well? Oh, absolutely. Um, again, in the same way that I believe it's important to build these relationships, I still have players from Omaha that if I know that they might know someone's coach, uh, you know, from years ago, and you can get kind of a, a personal reference from someone that I've gained uh, a lot of trust with. Uh, those sorts of things go an incredibly long way. Um, yeah, so so we definitely try to find as many contacts as possible because also, you know, students, especially in competitive Ivy League situations, they go through these interview processes and. And oftentimes they have coaches who train them on how to interview the right way, I guess you could say. And sometimes we need to kind of break through that and just really get to know the person and not kind of these staged answers that they've learned to create. Absolutely. And let's talk about the recruiting timeline for you. Being a big time program, uh, a very attractive program for a lot of student athletes. When do you start looking at recruits? Do you look at them when they're in their second to last year in high school or even earlier? What's your timeline? Yeah, I mean, honestly, we'll kind of start keeping our eye out for recruits as early as possible. If we happen to see someone at tournaments and they're even younger, we can't formally recruit them until the summer between their sophomore and junior year. But, um, and, and I've had to get, I've hit the ground running with Sonella, our head coach here at UPenn. And fortunately, our, our recruiting and coaching philosophies are very similar. Um, so we've, we've kind of identified a process for, for, you know, our, our top characteristics and traits that we're looking for, but we'll kind of keep an eye on, on players very early, you know, look at results a little bit, but then when we can get out to tournaments, it shifts back to really looking at their behavior and how they compete in big moments, how they talk to their coaches and parents before and after matches, um, all of those things kind of give you a glimpse into what life would be like if they were to join your team in college. That's awesome. And when you're at tournaments and you're recruiting in person and you get to observe all of these things, what about if there's a student athlete that can't compete in America? Maybe their family don't have the funds to, to send them on tours overseas and they're competing in their local countries. Let's say, for example, they're here in New Zealand where, you know, the, the amount of time you have to spend on a plane is 11 and a half hours to get to the US. In an event like that, how do you sort of gauge that? Is that when you use your references? Yeah. If we're not able to come over and make a specific trip for someone, that's that's when I give you a call or, or anyone else that I might know in the area. Um, 
and it, and it really comes down to that because i mean the tennis the tennis aspect starts to get maybe a little bit easier and and the kind of finding the right people starts to become the real art to it um so inevitably you know with different things like utr um and then that new world tennis number and and looking at rankings we can start to gauge likely the realm that players are in and look at trajectories and whatnot um but then it's absolutely shifting back to trying to talk to coaches or or contacts that we have that can be a reference for their character you must get a lot of tennis highlight videos being sent to your inbox every day and i've seen i won't name them but i've seen some recruitment agencies taking highlight videos of athletes where their camera angle is facing the athlete's chest where they're hitting the ball but you don't know where the ball is fishing what do you like seeing in the highlight videos what are red flags in a highlights video for you um yeah i mean we, we kind of take those with a bit of a grain of salt um it's nice to see as little editing as possible um and it's okay to see misses as well i, I think sometimes when every single ball is made that's um a little questionable but I, you know in highlight videos it's looking a little bit at the player's strokes um you know how they move on the court uh i don't think much time needs to be spent like just looking at cross court shots um you know there's a certain we can pick up on a quick level of competency uh right away uh point play you know seeing the serve and return seeing how players develop points uh how they read the court um different things that they can do with the ball um so i would shift a little bit more towards point play sometimes I've seen those and you get to the end and you see, you know, three or four or five points and then it ends. Um, so maybe a little more point play um, or especially if they have video of any recent tournaments where they're competing, that's incredibly valuable, especially in a situation where we're not close and we can't see them. Completely agree with you. I think that if you are going to tournaments, definitely run it by your tournament director to see if you're allowed to video your match. And if you are, that's going to help you big time in the long run. And it's kind of like a sliding scale. You could be an athlete that might be in a country where UTR isn't that strong. For example, we, I know before this call, uh, before this interview, sorry, we were talking privately. And I mentioned that I've been in Melbourne recently. Well, Melbourne had the longest lockdown pretty much in history and there was no tournaments. And so I think they were locked down for about 100, just over 160 days, um, consecutive days. And a lot of the UTRs there are deflated. So if your UTR is a lot a lot lower than what it should be, then maybe making the video much more believable and being a bit more raw is a good thing as opposed to being a really low UTR player or low ranking and you're out there hitting winners and tweeners and around the posts and aces every serve. <laughs> I think coaches <laughs> are going to see through that, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a little – if it's too good to be true, it usually is. Yeah. Um, but – but yeah, I, I think UTR, some of those things, it's a starting point. It's not It's not the end-all, be-all. Um, it can get your foot in the door real quick, but also if it's, uh, you know, I think we look for potential in a player's game, both like physically, but then how they view their game as well as, you know, how they look at their development, things that they're working on with, you know, their coach. Um, so 
we fully acknowledge the possibility of growth in all recruits as well. We're not, you know, you don't have to be, we don't want you to be a finished product when you come to college. We want you to come in and be open and excited to all the different ways you can still grow. 100%. And sometimes like before as a company, before we sign an athlete, we do a free consultation. So what that means is we ask that tennis athlete to send us a video of them playing and we look at their results and then we sort of tell them what kind of scholarship they're most likely going to get without paying us a cent. And then if they want to get involved, then they can later on. And sometimes we get athletes where they're like one one meter to 1.5 meters behind the baseline and they're just grinding and it's just, they're sending me videos of them not missing. And I'm thinking, will they be able to change their game style to like maybe moving inside the baseline? And you look at the grip that they're holding and seeing, can that be fixed as well if they are wanting to play a different style of tennis? And I guess, you know, what you touched on before about being coachable and if you can develop them, that's a huge thing. You want to see if you can work with the player, not that this is the level that they're at and this is how they're going to stay for four years, right? Absolutely. Um, I mean, you bring up a very interesting topic because I think some coaches definitely have types. Like you can see teams develop and some coaches will have players with, you know, huge serves and they like to come in and finish. You'll see some you know, schools in different parts of the country where it's, you know, maybe a lot more outdoor tennis and they make sure that their courts are really slow and they are mainly back. But ultimately, if if you're only committed to one style, then there there will come a day where it might be a big match and you need to be able to shift. And if you haven't been able to work on that with your coach, you're not open to entertaining a plan B and working on new skills where you could adapt in the moment, then then you find yourself in a match and it's just like, well, let's roll the dice and maybe it'll work out. But it's the most fun I've had as a coach is when I've been able to help different players. You know, maybe they 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 grew up only playing behind the baseline and they never thought about coming to the net, but then they were open and they spent a few months working on transitioning, working on finishing at the net. And then it's it's a big match, and we're playing someone who does love to just sit back there. But then all of a sudden we realize, well, if we build the point properly and we can come in, we can finish, and and now we can take this one. And and then when it's a big moment for the team and they're able to adapt, those are those are you know the the it's what it's all about. That's that's what makes what makes it great. Yeah, totally agree. And I think again, going back to the highlights video, that's why it's so important because. A highlights video is not showing the coach how many winners you can hit and how many points you can win, uh, win in a row. It's what you can do on a tennis court. So if you don't want to see your defensive game, they want to see you coming inside the baseline, throw a serve and volley in there so coaches can see your court movement um, and your attentions behind it. And if you're working the point side to side and you get a short ball come in and the guy passes you or the girl passes you, that's okay. Like that could be a good point because that's just a too good shot. That's a... You know, a one in 10 ball, what are they going to do for the next nines? Now, let's get into the academics of your school, UPenn, a top academic university, not just in the US, but in the world. What are the academic requirements for a lot of students? How tough is it to get into UPenn? So I've learned a lot the last month, but I'll admittedly, I am definitely not an expert on this. I will say our head coach, uh, Sanella, she went to UPenn and uh she was actually a math teacher for a little bit afterwards and she's wow. still her academic interests are wonderful and the conversations I, I hear her have you know with our recruits and with our current players uh it's phenomenal but um 
if someone was applying to UPenn as a general student, not affiliated with a with an athletic program, it's it's very challenging. Um, I, I've seen there are two different phases when they can apply, kind of the early acceptance or then the the normal deadline. And early acceptance, I've seen the percentage rate sometimes around fifteen percent. Don't quote me on that, but but then. Um, the later normal time where then they'll have all the final students for that year apply, it drops significantly. I think I've seen anything between five and 8% uh, acceptance rate. So it's incredibly challenging. And as a non-student athlete, uh, you know, it's almost a, a needed 4.0 GPA. Um, the standardized tests have not been used lately and they're going to decide fairly soon if they're going to be required for the class of 24. Um, that's still up in the air, but um, it's it's a lot of extracurricular activities. It's it's you know how many AP classes have they taken? Um, it's it's very challenging. And now for student athletes, there also needs to be a certain level, um, but there's there's more room for for um you know our ability to help help get someone in you know if they're floating more around possibly a 3.5 um still with tennis but then maybe some other extracurriculars or interesting aspects that make them unique um it's a whole it's we still help them work through the application process um and uh and yeah, it's it's still a little challenging for us to get them in, but it's much more realistic. I know a lot of Ivy Leagues or all of the Ivy Leagues, they don't have the ability to offer sports scholarships. It's only financial need. Um, is that something that you guys helped with the process with, with a lot of student athletes? And I know the school is quite expensive. It's a, it's a top private university, as mentioned, not just in the US, but in the world. So some students might not have you know, thousands of dollars to put towards the education. Um, what advice can you share for students that apart from doing like AP classes and stuff and extracurricular activities, what things can they do to make sure that the cost is little as possible for them? Well, I mean, that part is, is challenging and potentially limiting for some people. Um, now there are strong financial aid packages kind of based on family need. Um, Penn and in all Ivy Leagues uh, come at it with an approach that that families should only spend roughly a certain percentage of of their annual salary towards their students or their child's education. So there, I know at Penn we have um, there's a calculator of sorts online that that you know potential student athletes can go on and. Uh, it, it's best to be done with your parents um, because it asks a lot of specific information about, you know, your household income, um, you know, assets, all sorts of things. And then it gives you a, a projection um, of what you would likely receive in terms of financial aid. And then when we have student athletes that we're kind of taking those next steps with, uh, we'll do a slightly more formal process where we'll connect them with someone and it'll be done uh, not necessarily in person, but they'll work specifically with someone, just not on an online calculator. And then they'll be able to give them a, uh, you know, essentially an offer. And they'll say, this is what the package would look like. Um, 
you know, if you were to accept. So there's still there's still a pathway, absolutely. But um, you know, with the scholarship schools, it's obviously much more cut and dried. But um, but I think you know what you're able to get with with coming to an Ivy League and you know the academic possibilities and the doors that it opens for you, especially being in a city like Philadelphia with so many alumni still in town or just up the road in New York. Um, it's pretty amazing. You see the internships, you see how well these students are getting connected. And, and I mean, we, we have players who have job offers before they're starting their senior year. So, um, there sometimes, you know, we talk about it like it's an investment for your future and you invest, if you're able to invest a little bit now, it could pay significant dividends down the road. Absolutely. I always talk about the return on investment, your time at that university for four years and what value you're getting out of it. And I know I don't, I don't even need to comment on what value they'll be getting out of you guys. I think it's pretty transparent and, and pretty out there for everyone to understand. In terms of what the athletic facilities are like at UPenn, what do athletes get access to? What kind of gym equipment, strength and conditioning coaches? Yeah, what do they get? Yeah, so we had we had a, a workout this morning, and there's so so I'll broaden it out to like our tennis facility, and then the the all student athlete facilities as well. Um, we have eight indoor courts, and then the the team has their locker room in the indoor facility, um, and then we have twelve outdoor courts. Just a quick walk over a little hill, um, right where where our facility is, and. It's, it's nice at Penn because it's kind of this little athletic village. You've got, um, you know, a softball field. You have these other turfed fields uh, where there's always just all this activity going on right around the, the courts. Um, and then you're also right in the edge of Philadelphia. So, uh, I mean, we're virtually downtown. So you have the city skyline right behind you. And uh, we have a train that kind of goes right nearby. And there's actually this nice little bridge you go up and over. So you go to the weight room. So the players, it's, it's a few minute walk, or we also have a lot of them that have the electric scooters, which, (laughs) but we try to make sure they're wearing their helmets. Yeah. Uh, So they're just popping around on their scooters. Um, and then there's the student, there's a gym on the main level for, for all students. And then there's, um, the, uh, student athlete gym, uh, is just kind of like a half level down. Uh, it's in the, it's in the football stadium. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, a very large, um, you know, weight room. You've got all of the, the squat racks, the free weights, the medicine balls. There's, there are different like track lanes for our warm up and doing different quick sprint work. Um, so it's a great, I mean, it's a great space. Uh, the girls convinced me to jump into workout this morning. So I was going to, uh, but it's it's great and it's all right there and then you know then they're they're able to hop on their scooters and they take off to to class right after so uh it's it's a great little setup awesome and so those scooters that's all free well they get their scooters so they kind of have their personal scooters um i don't know if if within philly because oftentimes you'll see those little rent you you can have the app and you just pop off and it's a, a dollar or two um i don't know if they have those on campus but but otherwise i think the girls have 
bought their own scooters. That's incredible. That's so cool. And how often do you travel? And when you travel, do you guys fly? Do you take buses everywhere? How does that work? Yeah. So um, I've only been a part of Penn for the fall season. Um, and we, most of our fall tournaments were fairly nearby, um, almost within a couple hour drive. New York City is just up the road. Um, as the bird flies, it's maybe, you know, an hour or so, but traffic, you never know. Um, and we went to Princeton for regionals, which is 30, 40 minutes away. Um, we went to the All-American Tournament in North Carolina, so we flew down there. Um, and then Super Regionals is at Yale this coming weekend. And that's just a three-hour drive, so we'll take a van. Or uh, if we're taking only a couple players, maybe we'll just we'll rent a car or something. But as soon as it gets beyond a three or four hour drive, then we would just fly. Awesome. That's fantastic. And as mentioned, there's going to be a lot of people, a lot of parents and athletes listening to this chat today. How can people get in touch with you guys? What would be a good thing for them to do if they were interested in your program? I always think earlier is better. The, the longer that we can have a conversation and get to know potential recruits, um, it's, it's better for everyone. It's better for us to make sure that someone is a great fit for our program. It's better for the recruits to get a feel for us, to see if if we're someone that they would like to be around for four years. Um, because you spend a lot of time with your players and uh, you just you want it to be a great fit all around. I've, I've definitely come across some players in the past where, uh, you know, I've wanted them for so many reasons, but they were just looking for a slightly different situation than what I had to offer. So even though I knew they would have been an amazing player, you know, a successful player for me, I just knew that they could have thrived a little bit better somewhere else. Um, so only through having a lot of conversations on the front end, uh, can you, can you really kind of boil that down and, and find the right fit? Absolutely. I always tell my athletes, it's not just a sports resume that gets steals relationships do, and you need to have that dialogue with the coach because at the end of the day, you're not just coach over there, right? You're like parent, you're manager, you're looking after them and you're responsible for them. And you need to make sure are these the right people coming in here with the right intentions. And you can't do that over one call. Do you talk to um, the parents as well? Do you like to get involved in that conversation too? And how quickly after talking with the athlete, do you want to talk to the parents? I mean, it varies. We've, we've kind of been in touch with some parents where they they've just said it's my child's decision and we're turning it over to them um i would say sometimes the more common situation is uh we'll have early talks with the with the students and then uh maybe one talk after like soon after that with the parents uh and they'll kind of do their due diligence and and get to know us a little bit and and then after that, it generally turns into kind of building the relationship with the players. Um, sometimes different parents pop in and out a little bit more. Sometimes parents come on visits, um, but it's it's primarily driven with the with the students. Awesome! Now that's fantastic. Well, coach, I just want to thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it, and uh, we need to get you over here to New Zealand at some point. When can you come over? Hey, hey, I'll, I'll look at some flights after this. I'd like to pop over soon. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll go to an All Blacks match and come watch a bit of rugby here and do a bit of recruiting at the same time. Hey, that sounds great. Fantastic. And guys, if you're listening to this,
and you want to get in touch with Coach Thomas, his email's on the website. You can go to UPenn Women's Tennis and you'll find it there under the coaching staff. Check out their website, check out their Instagram, look at some highlights on YouTube at some of the players that are in the team, see where the level's at. And as Coach mentioned, they do start the recruitment process early. It's not just a tennis CV that gets you opportunities at a top school like UPenn. It is a relationship between you and the coach. So start that dialogue early. But Coach, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Hey, happy to do it. And and thanks for the call. And, and uh, I love what you're doing. Keep it up. Thanks, man. I no, appreciate it.